Hello, welcome to season three of Power Talk. Power Talks are short, powerful interviews from leading youth violence experts spreading new ideas and sharing best practice. This season is a special lockdown edition and today we are joined by CEO, founder and director of United Borders, Justin Finlayson. We talk about COVID-19 and the impact on the BAME community. We talk about running a youth charity from his bus and an infamous meeting with Pierce Morgan. All right. Yes. So welcome to Power Talk, season three, lockdown edition. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're out. I see the face mask, everything. I'm in my car. Really glamorous. Um, yeah. But Justin, I've been wanting to get you on Power Talk for ages. Yeah. But since you're like a mini celebrity, you've been palming me off and, and not, not <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get hold of you. The Lord is watching. I ain't got no time for no big stuff. I don't want <laughs> no nothing with you and God. No, I was always intended to do it. Don't, don't do that. Go on. I know, I'm only joking. No, it's good. It's really good. So first of all, just tell us like who you are, what you do, um, and then we'll get into it, man. Right. To all that don't know, I'm Justin Finlayson and I run a charity, a youth project called United Borders. So we're a music education hub. Um, we work off a double-decker bus, so we've got a double-decker bus bespoke with studio. And um, what we do is go around to different parts of the borough that's broken off through youth violence. So, you know, you'll have one postcode not dealing with another. And we try to um, tease out young people who are willing to work with other young people via music production and other projects that we may offer. And it's one way of connecting young people and getting them involved with music therapy, you know, getting some lyrics down, production work, stepping up their music acumen. But it's, a, it's another way of really understanding the feeling and the sentiment amongst young people on the ground and just kind of really understanding where they are and not where we ideally would like them to be. So we've been doing that for the past year. You know, we've done various things, taking young people to Cornwall to go and record music and surf. Um, on the inner city front, you know, we've, get, we've got young people who might rap a certain way, you know, more street affiliated and connecting them with the spoken word circuit just to get them out of their comfort zone. So our thing is always about getting young people away from, not completely away, but just navigating different ways of putting your art out there and not always following trends, you know. So yeah, have been doing it for like a year and a half now. Um, probably coming up to our second year now, you know, we've We've got graduation events that we do every two and a half months with young people that come on board the course. So we like to give, you know, big graduation events in decent venues, um, invite their family, invite their friends, so other people can have like a shared part of their learning experience. And, you know, it really encourages them to keep on learning, you know, keep on improving. That's amazing. And obviously the fact that you've got a bus, there's this kind of mobile, you mentioned it, you can go from different parts of London why yeah. a bus? Because, like, you know, I, I'd, I'd like a bus. I'd like a bus one day, but I don't think I can get one just like that. So, why a bus? Yeah, you what's, can, what's can, but the, the, the costs involved are, of, 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 there's so much cost involved in it, really. But um, buses, um, I've worked in the bus industry for over five years. It's a weird one. It's probably the only consistent industry that I've worked in. Okay. Um, worked my way up through management and certain other things. And um, it just happened that there were a few buses available to buy because my company got taken over. So I was always looking to get back into music. Um, and I was thinking, well, how can I do it? And I applied for a, you know, funds and a few other things here and there to try and get a space. And it was like the most difficult thing to do. Even if you were trying to hire community centers or trying to hire space within a community center, there's still like, you know, quite heavy costs associated with that. So then I thought, well, why not just buy a bus, turn it into a studio, and then that, that way I've got an office that I can actually move around different parts of London. And then um, my very first project, the main reason really was my very first project with where we a young man got killed opposite my mum's house, a young man called um, James Awusu. And he was that guy that everyone liked in the area, you know, college, college kid, university kid, but also looked after his mum. And like after he got killed, just no reason, just on his doorstep, um, the area was, 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 you know, felt pretty cold. And there was a lot of despondency around that particular death because it was like, well, even the, the young people who are not involved in anything could just be killed for no reason. So that was initially what sparked the energy to kind of start the project up. And the project was had to be anchored for me between the two warring fractions. 
So it was this side and that side, and it was about engaging with guys who I know on the ground who are still involved in street life and saying to them, look, I'm trying to create a solution where young people who are maybe five, six, seven years younger than you, they won't have to live like you. You know what I mean? They don't have to walk shops and look over their shoulders, etc., and be worried about all the things that you have to worry about. So I'm, I'm really focusing on your younger brothers, your younger cousins, and trying to create a scenario where they don't have to be part of this madness anymore, you know, this post-code tension. Mm. You know, because I've grown up in Brent for a long time, <clears throat> and me, I could just walk anywhere. <clears throat> Even now as an elder, I've still got that kind of like, a, that flexibility where I'm completely, you know, anonymous. I can walk around and people know who I am. They might know I'm from a different side of the area, but they don't associate me with, me with problems. So I'm just trying to get it so there's young people who meet other young people and there's not a problem associated. It's just a good time associated. It's just a, a good energy because that stopped a lot of things in my day, you know. Yeah. Nah, you can't walk with my man. I know his brother. Or no, nah, you can't walk with my I know his, you know the ones there and everyone mm. knows someone that knows someone. So it makes it a lot more difficult for problems to persist. So it was just really kind of reaching back into my own childhood and recreating something where young people can benefit from my experience as well and just connecting them with other young people and navigating the madness that we see that's taken it's hold really, of our, our young people today. I mean, that, that's incredible. And I suppose that's where the, the, the name United Borders has come from, really, yeah. in terms of connecting uh, warring fractions together. I suppose it's interesting what you've, you've done <clears throat> and what you've set out to do because it's something which is missing. And, you know, I'm from South East London. Um, and when we've had, unfortunately, murders as well, one of the things yeah. that we do try to do is this intergenerational conversation. Um, mm. And it's really, I find it one of the hardest things. And at the same time, yeah. one of the easiest things. Because you'd always get the, you know, the old school man and then they're like, yeah, yeah, it's about the youth. Um, let's, let's, bring, let's, let's try and do something. Mm. And then it's also hard because some of those guys are still really in it and therefore yeah. there's this kind of contradictory, slightly hypocritical, like the heart is there, everything's willing, but mm. it sometimes doesn't quite work out in the way that it should do. How do you navigate that? How do you navigate just that tension um, of well, for, one, one well, foot in, one foot out? Or so for some people? Yeah, you know, I mean, how's... What's been useful for us, I suppose, is, is the fact that the one foot in, one foot out tends to be younger people, you know. So the, a lot of our young people that we work with, you know, we might have some higher risk young people who could have bail, could have a situation like that going on. And it might be just coming to the course for just because they realize they've got to do something a little bit different. So remember, we've got to create a safe space for young people so they can just connect. So all the adults that are selected are adults that, understand that life you know some really have been there and know it's a complete waste of time but they're so far removed from that life now that when they talk to young people about decisions that they've ultimately made that's put them onto the path that where they are um that's that for me is rehabilitation in motion you know and a lot of time we've got people that have been to prisons and they're not in this capacity i, I believe their their prison cv is more applicable to dealing with young people than my own sometimes, who's well-meaning, I'm in the right place and I'm consistent, I can think of products and programs. Getting a message home from someone that's out of jail, that's done a five to 10 year stretch and saying to you, look, what you're about to embark on, I've done it and it is pants, it is really pants. You don't want to do that with your life. I think um, it, kind of, it kind of makes the message more true. Whereas myself, I've worked in the prisons as a prison officer, but I haven't spent time behind bars and been incarcerated. So for me to have the necessary empathy for a young person in that situation, it's not always there. So we try to utilize people who are a bit older, a bit more experienced, but far removed from that lifestyle. Because I don't think you can, it's hard to advise someone from, about something that you're actually doing yourself, you know? Yeah. So with young people in particular, they've already got enough things to navigate. Our job is simply just to help them navigate through life, be a bit more functional, you know, communicate better. A lot of things, problems are happening just through lack of communication. And it's bizarre because we're in a, everything's meant to be communication, technology, the whole night. Yeah. And yet still people are not communicating sometimes in cohesive ways. So we use, we utilize elder people in that way. But our project really, it's about young people controlling all the levers. And it's young yeah. people that, that inform me what needs to happen, and then I go and make it happen, if that makes sense. So I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't really want, a, sorry, I don't really want a charity 
which is focused around me at all. Um, I've got views and I'm out there and people know some of my views or what have you know. I'm not afraid to talk my mind, which is fine. But in actuality, I prefer in the next two years, you never see me again. You just see young people, CEO uh, running the whole thing. And that's me because yeah. it's not about me. My life's all right. It's their life that I'm trying to help navigate and, you know, just attach to better, to better opportunities and just a, a, a different way of doing things, you know? So I, I think that's... Um, that's really good. I mean, I think, sorry to cut you, I think what you just That's said good. there is a really lived, so two things there, I think it's really important to have a combination. My personal belief is that you need a combination of uh, people who have had the lived experience um, yeah. combined with people who also have maybe not the lived experience but have empathy and compassion. Yeah. So I think that is definitely, like that combination, it shouldn't be one or the other and I think that, and I think that is mm -hmm. good. Um, I think also what you've just said there is something which is close to my heart as well. I don't want to be, I don't want my charity to be about me. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why I didn't call it under my name or anything like that. Um, and similar to you, I want to be out of this game in a few years and hand it over and all that type of stuff. But something yeah. which I find, something I want to bring, come on to, you said that <clears throat> you, you've got views and you're out there. Now, one of the things mm. I'm, I'm, like most people, I suppose. Well, not everybody. Some people just follow anybody on 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 social media. Right. But I was like, the first time I I clocked you, you know what I'm going to talk about? It was um, uh, <laughs> it was the end. Yeah. It was it was on it was on GMB, Pierce oh, yeah. Morgan. And now I'm like, I I don't know if I saw it live. I, I wouldn't have watched it. But mm. when I saw it on social media, I was like, well, I can't say what I would say. I was like, wow. Let's just say, whoa, there. Yeah. Who is who is this brother? <laughs> I, I oh, talking complete sense, and right. also on national TV, going toe to toe with with Piers yeah. Morgan. Now, if this was in my studio with my with my, my camera team, I would. This would have been a point where I I I switch to that little you know segment and, and, <laughs> that little box part and, 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 back and forth yeah back and forth it's like <laughs> let everybody just see but if you're watching this yeah. definitely go and type in Justin's name and, and Piers Morgan now okay because I, I, what was funny about that whole thing was mm. that there was people on there who I know as well mm. <laughs> and, mm. and some of it, mm. and I always get nervous because I've, I've been invited on to him and, and I tend to yeah. stay away from it a little bit because I'm a bit like I'm not sure I know what I'm going to say, but I'm always a bit yeah. nervous about the other people on the panel. So I'm always like, mm, I'm not right. sure. But you just went in. So just yeah. talk to me a little bit about how you got invited on there um, and why you were on there and just the whole experience with that. Because I, for me, after that, I started following you. And similar yeah. to me, I've got views. You know, I say what I also on my mind, but... I, w I, was in I was so impressed and I know other people were. So just talk to me a little bit about the whole Pierce Morgan thing and how you got on there. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of context behind that, actually. A lot of background things that went on, which kind of, I think, added. Yeah, we're in the hood, so you're going to hear helicopters a lot. <laughs> so, uh, I'm it's weird. To... Yeah, when, when I'm not down here, I don't hear one helicopter, but in the hood, it's just normal. But, yeah, um... So what had happened was, um, I think I've still got the post on my on my Instagram timeline. I think Giggs um, had a real go at Piers because Piers, or actually, Piers had a consistency about you know colorizing knife crime. You know his whole thing was about that for a hot minute, and I remember Giggs just you know eloquently told him to do something that I won't repeat on on here. But um, I saw that exchange. And I remember adding to it, and I reposted it on my on my um my Instagram, yeah, my Instagram account. And I said, you know what, Piers, carry on talking, because one day me and you are going to meet. Just ambiguously, but I don't know why I felt that. But I said, one day me and you're going to meet. So this was like in April of 2018, I believe I posted it. And then um, fast forward, things started to happen with my charity. You know, my son nearly got killed. It's like one thing after another kind of happened. You know, so it was just. We're just at the return, back we should return back to, we should return back to that point. Yeah, well, your son. You just said that flippantly. You just said that yeah. flippantly about your son, but we'll come back to that. But go on. Yeah, see. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll come back to that. So, um, um, all of a sudden, we went on to Victoria Derbyshire. Right, sorry about this. Yeah, we went to Victoria Derbyshire, 
um, me, my son, and um, that's where I met Saves from Mentivity and that. And it was like quite, quite a few grassroots organizations. You know, Victoria Derbyshire, she's of a certain leaning, so she won't have a conversation go anywhere beyond what it is, which is, you know, about restorative justice. She's got that kind of social inclination. So um, there's a police commissioner on there, and he was chatting a whole lot of whack, just saying about, oh, well, you know, England, sorry, London's actually relatively safe. It's so safe that his children catch the bus. And I was at the back. I wasn't even supposed to speak. I was just like a talking head. My son was supposed to speak. And um, I was just like, what? And you know, you can't believe what someone's actually saying. And they're saying it so like, yeah. And I was like, wait, is anyone, so I'm looking around like, is anyone catching this? Like, what's this guy saying? And, and then the, the, in, the, in the end, Victoria saw me looking around like a, like a little ferret, you know, like doing that. <laughs> uh, she was <laughs> meerkatting. I'm just like this. So she was like, what's, what's up? So I was like, hold on. What does he mean it's perfectly safe for his children to travel? Like, every parent that I've spoken to that I know is fearful of their kill, children traveling. What world is he living in? So they was like, whoa, 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 whoa. So there's like, wheel up and come again. So they moved me to the front. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, you up, come again. So they moved me to the front, opposite the police commissioner, Victoria. She don't play, you know. And she was like, look, Justin, what I need you to do is say exactly what you said again and in front of him. I was like, oh, you ain't going to tell me twice. So I absolutely ripped him a, a real one while we were there. And then, you know, he had no answers, Sway. He had no answers. So it all looked a bit appalling. And then it was a weird one because I was lined up to go into GMB the following week with my son. Then the producers saw that with Victoria Derbyshire. So they contacted me back and they said, uh, you know what, um, yeah, we'd just like to have your son. You, you know, you're, 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 you're cool, but we'll just have your son. So I was like, really? They was like, yes. Yeah. So I said, nah, I don't think it's going to work out that way, you know? So mm. she's like, well, why not? You know, because he's got a story. I said, nah, nah, it's not going to work that way. I said, look, I'll tell you what, if you've got another dad on that panel who has a project set up specifically to combat knife crime and has been doing it before knife crime became the focus of government or the mayor, if you've got a dad that's whose own son, ironically, has been stabbed multiple times, even though I run a project to keep young people away from knife crime, and I continue to work with young people who are involved in knife crime. So I said, if that dad's on that panel, I'll stay at home and I'll send my son. If he isn't, forget it. I'm pulling the interview. <clears throat> so she's, she discussed with the other producer, and then they said, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, come on in. <clears throat> so going into it now, um, there was a, there's a young girl that I know as well, and, and her, her, her brother got killed probably like a few weeks before Rico, got, my son, got stabbed. And, um, you know, we was talking online and that, so I just said to her, look, man, I'm going to go on this, this show to go and discuss a few things. Do you want to come on board, innit, and just, you know, just see how this whole thing plays out? So she's like, all right, cool. So I've gone there with her and my son, and the whole time I'm just chatting to her about her brother and, you know, getting understanding what really went down there and then um we're in the green room and i just decided you know what i'm here i'm here for a reason i'm not here to make friends i'm here to speak on a matter which is actually affecting us and far too often we've got people coming to that studio and peers is just ripping them a new one so even on my post, it says, like, I've got a picture coming and, and I said, yeah, um, me and peers heating up rear, rear, rear. So in my mind, I was already engaged for what was about to happen. And I made it clear to everyone in there, listen, I'm, I've got to be clear with you guys. I'm, I run a charity, but I'm not here for charity. I'm here to dispel this myth where someone's trying to associate murder. murder. Yes, King. And taken away from poverty and he's associating it with just colour now. So I said, mm. I'm not really here to talk about all the, the work that we're doing. I'm just here to deal with him. So I'm going to speak last. Everyone else go and say a bit, but I'm getting last because I need to really deal with the situation. So they were like, right, okay. So I, would, I sat by myself. <laughs> yeah. It was like, okay, leave him alone. <laughs> the crazy man in the corner. So I sat down by myself in the corner and, that, and I was going over a few things in my head. And I, I didn't really know what to put forward. All I knew was, he ain't going to get, uh, keep getting away with what he's doing. That's, all, that's the only MO that I really had. And then, weirdly enough, on the screen, it was talking about Trevor Phillips. Now, I've been following Trevor Phillips' career for a bit, and um, for me, he's just not someone credible to really speak, speak on issues which affect, for me, grassroots, yes, King, grassroots and, and young people in general, and just black people at large. I just thought, nah, we, what's this one voice, one man, one voice thing? Like, you know, you just... 
wouldn't, you wouldn't have a Jewish committee with one person. Like, it's just farcical. Every organization would have a myriad of people, men, women, older, younger, to reflect what the community actually needs. So I don't like this thing by, oh, we need an expert. All right, we'll just get him. We'll just get him because he's black in it. And he, and he says some things around blackness, even though I don't think those things really affect black people positively. But that's my, that's my opinion. I'm not going to say that whether it's the case or not. So I've seen Trevor Phillips' name mentioned, and then they put up a picture of Leroy Logan. So I'm like, rah, Trevor Phillips looks different. Thinking Leroy, because I'm, look, I'm looking at subtitles. So I'm thinking, yeah. rah, I thought that was the next guy. But that's Trevor Phillips. So I'm like, okay, cool. So he's saying all of that stuff. I'm like, all right, Trevor Phillips, all right, all right. Then Leroy Logan walks in, who I think is Trevor Phillips. So he walks into the green room. So... I'm seeing him, I've seen um, them, you know, they're gearing it up, Trevor Phillips today. I see Nero Logan walking. I think it's Trevor Phillips. So he's come across to me and he's like, oh, hi, I'm Justin. Please, I'm not like, here, what? Save it. Don't touch me. Don't even bother with it. I swear, <laughs> I swear to you, bro. I don't see Here, what? Save it. Don't even bother chat to me. You've got way too much talk. You've had your time, innit? Save it for out there on the studio floor, yeah? Me and you on the floor. I'm not chatting to you back here. So he was like, wow. He was like, okay, no problem. So he's gone across to Pastor Lorraine. And he's like, um, you know, he's trying to make small talk. But I can see he's bothered. He's flustered by what's happened. So he's looking around and he's, and he's like, he said something to Pastor Lorraine. And Pastor Lorraine's like, hold on, let me, let me go over. So she's brought him over to me again now to the corner. So Pastor Lorraine says, oh, Justin, I'm you right. So I said, yeah, I'm cool. So she goes, no, because, you know, I said, listen, Pastor Lorraine, I am cool. It's just, I don't know who's who back here. I'm not here for friends. I'm here to literally deal with Piers Morgan. So if you are here to charity and all that, do your thing. But I'm here for Piers Morgan. And she goes, yeah, but Leroy wanted to say hello. And he said that, you know, you, you kind of blanked him. I said, who? What Leroy? She goes, Leroy Logan. I goes, where is he? And she goes, him. And points to who I think is Trevor Phillips. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, bruv, I am so sorry. What had happened was, I was watching the screen and there were subtitles. It said Trevor Phillips. And then, you know, there's a late bleed. It showed your face. And I thought you was... He goes, you thought I was Trevor Phillips? I was like, yeah. He goes, are you mad? He goes, listen, I like your energy. You see, when we go out there, he goes, it's the first time I've been on the panel with some of your energy. He goes, keep that energy when we go out. I said, all right, cool. So we're going out, and even up until the point when we've, we've gone out, I'm literally saying to myself, right, there's a confrontation, but I hate confrontation, but I will have it, you know? And I'm saying to myself, all right, cool. If they put me next to, um, not Lorraine, right, Suzanne Reed. If they put me next to Suzanne Reed, I'm not going to do the confrontational thing. I'm just going to allow it. Right, that, 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 there's, there's a whole nother deep level of conversation about that statement, but maybe we'll, right, I can yeah, tell we'll you. I see where you're going with that one. Yeah. So Hopefully. I said, well, yo, let me tell you higher force. If you put me next to Piers Morgan, that for me is a sign and that means it's on. Yeah? They put me next to Piers Morgan. I said, oh my God. So I'm, I'm really going to have it now, isn't it? So he's gone to... You know, did the obligatory, hi, Piers Morgan, thanks, to, I'm happy to happy that you're here, da, da, da. and he's shaking, I think Pastor Lorraine's on my left-hand side, so he shook her hand, and he comes down the line to me, and he goes, hi, Justin, Piers Morgan, pleased to meet you, da, 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 da. it's going to shake my hand, I just lean back, I, was like, I don't know what you did, so he just like, what? So I just lean back, I was like, you best go to my son, but I ain't shaking your hand. So then he's gone straight to my son, and then he's gone to Miss Cope, and then they've got the countdown going off, and then it's like, Justin, here's Morgan. I said, I'm pleased to meet you. And I was just like, listen, whatever, man. Just don't want to chat to me. So it's just like 10, 9, 8. Now, the way it was supposed to work, I wasn't supposed to talk in that thing. I was supposed to just accent the conversation. I wasn't supposed to do anything. So because he's wound up just before the whole thing started, his, his line of questioning, he asked one question to, I think, Pastor Lorraine or Miss Cope, I think, and then, and next we have Justin from United Borders. And that's what I needed. I said, okay, cool. So you've, you, you've made a grave. You're going to lie in it. You're going to lie in it. And that was it. Just, just really took him to task. Just took him Listen, to task. Held him accountable for, for a lot of his views. And the rest is there, as you say. It's probably, so, I mean, there's so many things I want to unpack in what you've just said. Mm. But one of the things for me, um, so my history is that I've worked in this field for about 20 years. Um, and the charity Power the Fight launched in 2019. So one of the things we're often trying to dispel is the notion that this issue around youth violence is a black issue. Oh, man. So, so 
while, you know, my point is always this. Yes, in London, it disproportionately impacts black children, but mm-hmm. this is not a black issue. So we have, you know, whether it's our training or conversations I have, we always have this. So when you did what you did <laughs> and what you said, first of all, I was like, wow, finally. I'm sure it's around the same time. I can't remember whether it was before or after I saw Carla say something yeah he went similar. on it afterwards yeah, yeah. so so so, yeah. so i'm looking at this i'm like wow this is all i need to put in my training so you <laughs> you you that that whole section is in one of my training around youth violence and then i, right. I showed you a car of things so you 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 helped me massively that's just like yeah. you're basically saying but i think what was beautiful was just the aesthetic as well so i'm yeah. like okay here's 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 a black guy on television mm. um mm. talking articulately and with sense and with mm. boldness. Now, mm. that is something you don't see too often. Right, right. You don't right. see it. You don't see it. Um, they don't allow us to, to have that type of narrative. So, for yeah. me, it was just a beautiful thing. And I'm watching it, and I know a lot of people will resonate. It's just like, you know what? Finally, somebody mm-hmm. is saying what needs to be said, uh, mm. not just to that person, but it just felt like a very watershed moment. And I know, for me, it was just the moment where I was like, I don't know this guy, but I'm going to yeah. get to know this guy. Yeah. somebody who is just is big so that was massive um and it's mm. so and i think what i do in my training as well i always before i show your bit of the color i do like mm. a, a poll because mm-hmm. multiple people just like okay do we think it's a black issue and there's always a couple mm. of white people who are a bit nervous but a bit like oh no i, I kind of do think it's a black issue right and then we show your we show your clip and they ultimately mm. always change their mind so that was mm. incredible i want to go back to just obviously the reason why you were on there in the first place about yeah. your son, um, yeah. if you if you don't mind, you, you, don't have to go, you don't have to go into like mad detail, but clearly yeah. it was a, a a watershed moment for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, kind of, it, was this the reason? Obviously, I'll give you an opportunity to explain. But was this the reason why you launched the charity? Or were you launching a charity anyway? And this nah. unfortunately happened. Yeah, no. Nah, so the the charity had been launched previously. So. Um, we launched in 2017. That was after the murder of, of um, James Owusu. So you can imagine our frustration. You know, I've, I've written to the mayor, I've emailed the mayor, and I'm saying, look, I'm probably the only London bus driver who's actually bought his own bus and is using it to combat this thing called knife crime. And I'd appreciate some kind of support. I've worked for TfL for over six years, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And all the emails that had come back was just pretty much, nice, not really, it's a non-starter. And it went to like, it was a record number amount of deaths in 2017. All, all of a sudden, Mopac and all these kind of things started to happen. But I was already in that journey anyway. So um, come 2018, this is the beginning of 2018, actually. Um, New Year's, I spoke to my son. Um, he, was at that, he was at the house with, with his friends. So I just said to him, look, you know, happy New Year, rah, rah, you know, love exchanges and all of that. To take care of yourself, make sure the house doesn't get wrecked. That kind of that kind of conversation. And then on the second of January, um, he was walking our cousin back to the train station, who stayed at our house. Um, and when he was walking him back to the train station, he noticed that there was like eight 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 youths with balaclavas walking behind them, following them kind of closely. And then once he realised that that these guys had actually come to them, he said to my cousin, "Like run!" And they ran. And they, um, I think they, they got split up in the run. And my son ran into a cul-de-sac and then all eight of the youths and balaclavas surrounded him. And then, um, yeah, he, he just said that basically, you know, he knew what the situation was. Everyone had their knives out and that. And he was just speeching them, like saying, look, I swear I'm not from here. I'm from Harrow. You know, I don't know anything about the area. I don't know what's going on. And he said that he could see that they was thinking about it. And then, you know, one of them lifted up his um his balaclava and said uh, I don't I don't I don't recognize him you know but the other said now nah, we've come too far and they just started stabbing him so he ends up getting stabbed eleven times um um and really it's I don't know if miracle is the one to say but 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 I, it was, it's nothing far from a miracle as to why he survived because um. He got stabbed with swords, you know, swords from swords, like stab wounds all down through his armpit, through his chest. Like uh, one of the sword, the, the, the worst one was the sword because it hit him from the back and it pierced his, um, no, his abdomen, it missed his abdomen. I think it pierced his, his gut or something like that. 
and it went all the way through to his anal cavity. So he wasn't wow. even able, yeah, so that's where you're talking about infections and all the rest of it, right? So it was a horrific um, situation for him to be in. And um, all that saved him was his voice. He just started screaming. And then, because it was in a cul-de-sac where all these houses were, lights went on. And then um, he literally could only drag himself. He got stabbed in his legs as well. So he could only drag himself to the front door. Um, and the person who opened the front door just so happened to be a, one of his school friends that he used to go to school with. And her uncle knew life-saving life techniques and he applied a towel to the archery that was opening his leg. So when I say it's a miracle, because if he stood up, he would have died. He would have bled out. It's only because he dragged himself to the door why, he, why he, he's still alive even now. So yeah, so that was the 2nd of January. So that's the beginning of my year. Um, so the, mm. the project, the charity was just the farthest thing from my mind, you know. And you got a lot of unresolved issues around it because obviously it's like your son's nearly been killed. No reason, you know, not even involved in nothing. You know, it's just, he was just in the wrong place, wrong time. You hear that all the time and you're thinking, really? Yeah, really. Like wrong place, wrong time. Ironically, that is my son. But at the same time, it's happening. It's an indicator of how, of how this indiscriminate you violence is. Do you know what I mean? Like we always, once we see it in the news and you see 16 year old killed, you just, uh, there's a little space in your mind that reserves where that might have been a bad 16-year-old kid, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's, uh, you know, the reason why my charity started because of, of James who got shot in his back eight times on his doorstep. Good you. Mm. You know the ones there, like university you. My son stabbed 11 times. Never been, never had a criminal record, never doesn't know anything about that life. Do you know what I mean? So it just showed me how indiscriminate youth violence actually is. But then beyond that, I'm just a parent. And then you go through this weird space of like, you kind of want revenge. You kind of want the right, the right outcome. You know, you definitely want justice. But it's just knowing your child as well as you know your child. I'm thinking, who in their right mind would want to take this child off the planet to that degree? Do you know what I mean? Like, these people are not right. So you just kind of, you go through a, a gamut of, of, of different, emotions when it comes to something like that yeah i mean so I, the charity was for my mind i was just trying to support my son back to full health and then every time you get through a next juncture there's always something else the, the guys that carry out these things they they don't see this part of it you know where no. for the next four months two of those months my son's addicted to, to morphine you know and he's in so much critical pain that as a parent I kind of want him to get the morphine because I just don't want him to be in the pain, but I could see that he's addicted to morphine. And now I've got to tell him, son, you've got to stop taking the morphine. And it's like I've broken his heart. And, you know, he's crying about the, the, the morphine situation because he doesn't want to be in the hospital bed, let alone not take something that's reducing my pain. But I'm like, but you're going to get addicted to that. You know what I mean? And like, you've got to go through all of those things and then you've got to go through all the surgeries and all of that. Like, and then, the colostomy bag that he was left with after the attack. You know, he's a young man. He does um, personal training work. So he's, you know, he's got a great body. And now he's got scars all over his body. His, his muscles wasted away. He can't walk anymore. Do you know what I mean? He can walk now, but he couldn't walk at the time, you know, no energy, that kind of thing. So there's so many things that, you, that you're left with. People just think it's just a stab wound. It, the way it impacts every facet of you as an adult, where if now my other son said he's going out, I'm like, where, where you going? Where you going? You know what I mean? Complete paranoia and complete mm. thinking, right, something's going to happen to this one. Like, it sours your existence. Right? You know, I can only commend families who've actually lost children and mm. go on to do this kind of work. You know, it really takes so much more spirit to be able to do something like that. But in my case, the, the charity was just all put on hold. And then um, once he kind of got out of that phase and was able to physically do most things again, um, my bus got burned down. Someone set my bus on fire. It just arson attack. So it was just like, wow. <laughs> I was like, I, if, there, if there's tests, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm seeing them all in a, in a short period of time, you know? So mm. 2018 was, was very turbulent, um, was very much on, on top of his head. And after my son nearly got killed, I didn't really have a, a huge appetite to, to get back and working amongst young people, especially as I know that some of them I've got to be non-biased, isn't it? And if a young person's yeah. committed a stabbing, I've still got to work with that young person to change their mindset. I don't know this young person hasn't put an adult through what I've gone through. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of 
things that you have to explore and I didn't feel, I weren't ready for it. So I just thought, I'm not going to do it just because, you know, the whole point of doing it is because I'm, I only do what I'm passionate about, you know, if, if there's no passion then I'm not on it. So in the end, after my bus got burnt down, I think that was um, the point where I was just like, actually, you know what? Um, um, I'm, I'm supposed to do this. Because everyone was like, yo, you're cool. Like, I saw Carla as well. Um, he had a concert up in, in, in whatever ends up in Bristol. And he was like, yo, Jay, you're cool, you're cool. And I was like, bruv, to, to be honest with you, I, I'm, I'm completely clear. Like that, that burning symbolized something for me. I don't know if it was sacrifice. I don't know what it was. But it just symbolized something for me. And it was just like, you know what, now you've got to, you've got to get up now. Like how you've been down, it's been hard, but you've got to get up now. And that was it. And I swear, the guy that told me, because yeah, my, my bus broke down in countryside and there was a, a farm and he's like, just leave the bus here, it'll be all right. We've never had any crime in this village, it's safe. I'm like, all right, cool. My bus is the first crime in that village for how long? So anyway, when he phoned me and told me the news, I just said to him, listen, I'm, don't worry about it. I said, look, I'm going to turn this all around. I said, by the end of the year, I'll have a new bus, don't worry about it. And he goes, are you serious? I was like, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And literally that was the, the starting of the rebirth, I'd say, of United Borders because... You know, I won a, an award from, from LEAP, which is like, a, they honor all grassroots organizations and stuff, one of the work that we're doing. And I won an award from them in the Bloomberg building and told my story about my son. I was with my son on the same day as well. And that was the first day he was able to go to the barbershops by himself, you know? And literally seeing him walk to the barbershop for the first time by himself and then driving to the award ceremony. So my mind was, he was still very firmly in my head. So when I won the award, you know, that was the vision that came up and I just started balling on stage in it. Well, I do that a lot anyway, so don't worry about it. But I started, started balling on stage <laughs> anyway. Too. So then, um, yeah, and then um, there was a benefactor there and he was just like, listen, your story really moved me. How much do you need for a new bus? So I was like, oh boy, it's going to be a bit because I want this one to be proper and recorded facilities. He goes, look, come and see me next week. Wow. So wow. Wow. I think it's that thing that once you know what it is you want to do and whatever you're aligned to, purpose, if it's aligned with all of the things, <clears> positivity, <throat> purpose, passion, it would just happen almost effortlessly, you know? And up until then, everything felt like so much effort for me. But that, since then, it's almost been like a, a, a ride, if I'm to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, we still go through the same nonsense like everyone else, funding and applications and grants and all of those clunky parts that we don't like. But for the most part, the relationships that we that I've formed with like younger people, it's been a, a complete breath of fresh air for me, man. Because it's just that okay, you can't believe all that's been said to you. You know, you got to get on the on the on the ground and actually understand that you know they're the same as us. They just we've just left them with a harder situation to manage. They didn't just create it for themselves. We've left this for them. And you know, you got moments like this, COVID nineteen. It's just another thing, isn't it? It's just another scenario that we as adults are leaving people. Well let's, well, let's, in, well, let's talk about that, actually, because, um, again, yeah. it's so much what you've just said there. I suppose there's two things I want to pull out. Um, one, 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 I suppose, a bit personal, but another one just sort of wider. So the first thing would be, obviously, some would say that mm. what you've gone through and what you experienced with your son, uh, mm. your bus being burnt down. If I'm correct, didn't your bus get robbed as well? recently yeah yeah it got, yeah. It got robbed recently yeah, yeah. wow so, so, i almost so, forgot that that's so true yeah. it was like yeah yeah <laughs> so 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 you know uh, so you've had a few things with the bus and, and yeah 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 but um but also like i suppose one of the things you know that i'm passionate about and the things that we're working on is how you deliver what i would call culturally competent therapy so i don't know if it's everyone's experience but definitely with the families i've worked with um in the, in the past 20 years predominantly not all but predominantly families of color um when it comes to seeking therapy off the back yeah. of a traumatic experience like similar to what you've yeah. experienced yeah it's almost non-existent yeah yeah i don't know if um, that's your experience um and why do you think those reasons are what why, why do you think we find it difficult i'm not like let's be clear when i say the black community we're not a monolith so i'm not saying that like you know Everybody has the same experiences, but no, no, it's just a it's it, I, I completely catch what you're saying, and it's if even if it was a stereotype, it's one that you know all stereotypes ring true to a degree. Um, mm. and but this unfortunately is not even a stereotype, it's just an actual thing when it comes to the community. And I think majority 
majority of it just kind of derives from the fact that all of these institutions that have been created to safeguard people and help people, we're disproportionately affected by them negatively, you know? And if that's schooling, expulsion rates, you know? If it's policing, stop and search, you know, that's, that's a service we pay for, by the way. We, yeah. we are paying for police to keep us safe. So what we're not doing is paying for you to stop and search our youths because of your personal bias. But hey, it goes on, right? Um, mental health institutes were disproportionately overrepresented there. Um, kept in wards for longer than anyone else and often given like um, harm, you know, more stronger drugs than anyone else, you know, because of the perception of us, you know, for the people that run those institutions. So every institution you care to mention, hospitals is the same thing. You know, if we look at this COVID situation, again, what is a normal issue for everyone becomes a black issue because it affects us disproportionately. So we look at COVID and it starts out like, oh well it doesn't even affect black people wow we're amazing we've got teflon no it don't i said to everyone calm down like just give that's it a right. minute whatever that's whatever right. issue i swear to you bro like when everyone was telling me this i was walking around with this from then you know from um from five weeks ago i was i was moving like the madman you know the person with the tinfoil and everyone's like what's wrong yeah. with the tinfoil hat yeah that was me because i'm like listen until i fully understand something i don't go into it like everyone else naive or go into it with a strong center, like, no, this could never happen. I'm just like, nah, it might could happen. And for me, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen to me. So I won't bungee jump because my cord won't open. I'm not uh, jumping on a parachute. I hear you, bud. Yeah, I'm yeah, because my parachute I'm not jumping out no plane, I'm not doing nothing. Yeah, right, right. There's I'm certain you. things that I just think is going to happen to me wrong, so therefore plan and preparing it. So same thing with this COVID situation. It went from, ah, oh, black people can't get it to now look where we are. Oh, black people are dying disproportionately. Oh, is this a black disease? It's not a black disease. It's uh, if you don't have money, if you can't work from home, if you can't isolate yourself, if you don't have the money to sit down and say, well, actually, I'll just shop for two months and ride it out. Then what are we talking about here? Okay, so most black people, as we know, are working, they're in the working class districts and those are the ones that have to find a work. They have to catch that bus, even if there's corona on the bus. They have to be in that space that they need to get to. They need to be in the care homes and helping people who are more vulnerable. So the fact that we're dying indiscriminately or disproportionately, sorry, it makes sense because we've always got to be at the front line. We're always on the front line, even when there's a back line. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's just one of them ones where for me, um, with knife crime, it's the same thing. Like to call it a black issue. And you're thinking this is just insane because at no point was Scotland's violence referred to as the white crime, you know? And in fact, if we're going to discuss white crime, it's white collar crime. Very small, small crime. Small, 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 small. <laughs> but our, our idiot crime is the biggest crime. In other words, it's a crime of the century, what these guys do. So I look at things as, uh, you know, things that I love. So I love football. I'm an avid Liverpool supporter, the best team in the world. Uh, don't, 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 don't even start. Don't even start. Don't start, Ben. Uh, yeah, don't start, Ben. No, we'll, we'll get back to it. We'll get back to it. We'll get back to it. The one year that we was going to win the cup, look what they come and look at COVID, you know? The year Liverpool's supposed to win, they release COVID. You know, you know it's right. not more than it's anything. Right. I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a god man, but I definitely knew there was a god man when COVID came. <laughs> I was like, I'm a Liverpool. <laughs> I'm telling you, listen. Anyway, we, we digress. But um, as I say, that's just one of those situations by where, um, in general, where you know, I'm see, I see this kind of trend where black black things are disproportionately represented as the main fulcrum of whatever it is and if it, if it happens to someone white it's an individual but if it happens to black it's the whole team you know so mm -hmm. i i kind of get tired with these tropes if i'm to be honest with you so i try and dispel them where i can but with this um life crime thing that young people are find themselves in you know and uh, it's a minority it affects the majority because everyone's thinking now someone might get stabbed, someone might be carrying, someone might not be. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. the mindset, yeah. it affects the majority. Even if it's just a small minority, it don't matter. The mindset has affected everybody in that, in that age group. Yeah. So, um, personally, um, I've, sp I've spent a lot of time debunking a lot of these things and getting content for it. When you're talking about Knife crime, you're talking about some of the same characters, you know, who are, who are well-known. Social services, expelled from school, could be single-parent family, lack of father, um, father role model or anyone like that. Mm. And, you know, they might be known to police as well. So 
if you satisfy any one of those five things, then mm. for me, the next port of call should be us, yourself, other organizations that understand. You understand? Like, that should be it straight away. Like, does so-and-so hit any of those five things? Cool. If they do, let's get their man in because they understand mm. it. Let them work on it. Here's their budget to work on it and et cetera, right? I don't understand how schools can get budgets for young people and expel them and say there's nothing we could do. Well, you could give me part of your budget and I'll, I'll give up my, my time to come in and work with little so-and-so two to three days a week. Don't tell me there's no money for it because you're mm. willing to accept money for our young people and then once it's locked in, you'll expel them because you don't want your exam results looking a certain way, you know? So it's just... Um, I know I'm going off topic a little bit, but I'm a little bit like that. But I mean... Uh, it's, personally, uh, it's, it's fine. I think it's one of these things because yeah. obviously what you just spoken about is the disproportionality conversation which yeah for some weird reason you know we can't just agree on so whether it's kind of like i'm with you and everything you're saying but yeah there are people you've mentioned trevor phillips and other people who have had a completely different perspective and i can't sometimes just think are we are you living in the same world because surely not statistically the statistics are there you've mentioned it everything where Black people. So I think it was the race disparity audit in 2018, which basically yeah. just demonstrated whatever you talk about, social yeah. housing, yeah. Uh, school exclusions, yeah. stop and search, mental health. Yeah. Like we're bottom of the, we're like relegation. Like, like right. we're, <laughs> we're in a relegation scrap every year every when the season year. starts. When the we're season like, starts. Like West Ham or whatever <laughs> it is. We're just, we're just in that scrap. We're and people, in people it. have the audacity to say, you know what? It ain't really a race issue, and it just frustrates me because I'm like, oh, man. I don't know what you're reading or that, what you're seeing. You, well, you, you've connected me back to the right path again. So we're talking about therapy. So it was, it was more or less like when, when, when you look at all these institutions that have been set up to help us, they've always kind of hindered us in some way. So I, I think that there's a, there's a degree of suspicion around therapy. Um, one, because of the, the practitioners, you know, they tend to be from middle class and, you know, tend to be white and it's hard. A lot of our issues or sorry, a lot of the challenges that we're faced with come from white people. Um, if it comes from their non-understanding of the issues that the challenges that we face, you know, so it's just like kind of belittle some of the things that we're going through. If it comes to, you know, you're dealing with therapy, so you're dealing with the most vulnerable aspects of your emotions now, isn't it? and mm. some of the makings of who you are. Now, if you're going to relay that stuff, you want to relate it to someone, yes, someone that doesn't quite know you that great, but you also want someone that has a, a great deal of empathy yeah. and understand what it's like to be someone like you in, in such a challenging system. It would only mm. make sense for me. Mm. So I think that because of the lack of... Um, I'd say some somewhat black therapists, but I would also say good therapists because, you know, there's yeah. a lot of therapy around, but who are the good practitioners, you know? And, yeah. and, and it's something that, for a challenge for even myself, I said this year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to undergo a bit of therapy to see how I, how I get on with it. Oh, my battery's about to jump on me and get the charger. That's cool. I'm going to I'm gonna see how I get on with therapy myself because I want to advise a lot of other people, to, particularly young people, to access therapy. Yeah. But if yeah. I've never accessed it myself, then I can't really, you know, pass but that. I think that's a really, I think that's a massive point, though. Like, I, I the amount of black people I know yeah. who have gone through similar traumatic situations you have described yeah. with your son, yeah. um, who would not go anywhere near therapy yeah. because of those reasons. And like you yeah. said, it isn't so much even that. There is a question. There is a real question yeah. about where are the black therapists? I think that's yeah. a legitimate question. I think there's a yeah. bigger question, or there's, a, there's another question about where are the culturally competent therapists? So for yeah. me, I'm just like, well, you know what? You can be white and middle class yeah. working in inner city, wherever. Definitely. But if you don't understand the context, yeah. because I always make, I mean, so, you know, I, 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 I always use the example that some of the, you know, there's, there's one mum I can think about yeah. who who are, who we work with, and mm -hmm. you know she is as Jamaican as you can think. You know what I mean? Right. Jamaican right. As, as you can, whatever, not quite whatever stereotype, but yeah. you know where I'm going with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And therefore, one of the reasons why she hasn't, or I've not even said to her, even though I've said you need therapy for some yeah. of the stuff which has gone on, 
I haven't yeah. yet found the right therapist who who can really, really understand the context that she's coming from, you know? And, and I right. think that's a shame. Right. I think it's a real shame because right. she, she needs it. But I also know yeah. that, boy, if, if this is this is going to be a real real tough one. So I think it's a it's a massive problem. I think also what you you, you said, and it's funny actually, because I thought of you the other day. I don't know if you saw it on um it was on like uh BBC News London. They did like a yeah. um an interview or some type of report on COVID. And they used um yeah. rent, uh, mm-hmm. almost rent versus Kingston. And the question yeah. was kind of like, ah, oh, well, Brent's got one of the highest um, cases for COVID. Yeah. Um, and, and they've got uh, quite a high density and proportion of uh, people of colour, black people in, in, in Brent. Yeah. In comparison to Kingston, who, who have got not many black people, but also mm-hmm. more space. So they were interviewing some people in Brent, um, mm-hmm. predominantly kind of mm-hmm. black people and Asian people mm-hmm. and then they interviewed the people in Kingston and the people in Kingston were walking around near the river and they said it themselves it's like well most of us like you said something really interesting the people in Kingston had a choice they don't mm-hmm. need to go out of their houses mm-hmm. where what the people in Brent were saying was like well I'm a frontline worker I'm, I'm, I'm working mm-hmm. in the hospital I'm a bus driver I've mm-hmm. got no choice mm-hmm. and right there is what the issue is isn't it people yeah. with choice versus people who haven't got choice and the people who have got choice mm-hmm. tend to be the people with money and therefore don't be surprised yeah. when the people who haven't got choices are the ones who are getting the COVID are black, yeah. Yeah. Are black. Yeah. exactly so don't be surprised and, yeah, and I think there's some yeah. real basic stuff which I think my seven year old would be able to like compute and there's some yeah, stuff yeah connect all the dogs quickly yeah and, but we, we, we it's really yeah. it's really interesting so, no, I get your point. I suppose, because um, honestly, you're one of these people. The other person who's like you is Craig Pinkney. Well, I thought to myself, well, we could have a half-hour conversation and it ended up being like two hours. So, like, we're going to have to yeah. do part two. But I, I just feel like <laughs> definitely we've got to do part two because, bruv, there's things yeah. that are clocking on your social media and I'm just like, yeah. you, this is a man of my own, after my own heart. So there's lots of Thanks conversation. You, Likewise. We've got, we, we've, got, we've got to delve into... We've got to delve into mm. so much. We've got to delve into music. I know you're a music man as well. And there's just lots of stuff Oh, man. There. We're literally doing a, a COVID report with one of our young people right now. So I've, he's filming over there. He's just basically just documenting life with COVID from a younger person's perspective, isn't it? So I'm, I'm filming as it is. But it's been a, it's been a delight chatting to you, man. You, you actually hold court. I like your interview style, young man. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. You you know how to tease out certain things. I've really enjoyed it. So um, I'm game, bro. You let me know when you're ready for me, and I'll I'll, I'll gladly come back and, and kick it. Yeah, with you. definitely, bro. Definitely, I appreciate. It. And anything we can do, like power fight wise, like we we have to collaborate, man. We have to do something because I think there's so much I respect about what you guys are doing. So love it, man. Thank you so much for your time. All love, Chief. All love. Thanks for inviting us on and look forward to it again, yeah? Take care, family. Nice one. Nice one, brother. Take care, man.